So hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. Uh, this week is our 50th episode um, and we thought that with it being like an anniversary episode that we would give the platform to an amazing cause. This week's guest is uh, Refugee. We had Selena in um, for a conversation a couple of weeks back and um, I mean really what an incredible woman and what an incredible cause and we asked her just about what is Refugee refugee charity in Glasgow the name's absolutely incredible um, we talk about what was the motivation behind um, the charity um, things like the welcome packs that they do for refugees that, that uh, find themselves in Glasgow what types of things that they need for these packs we also spoke about the impact of media and uh, politicians and how they they speak about refugees and what kind of impact that will have on the people themselves and we talk about the mental health support that refugees need integration um things like the holding camps uh, but on the sort of more positive side we also talk about like the letters from locals that they do um kids sending welcome letters uh, into the charity to give to refugees and just how important it is to be welcoming um and and what the sort of ideal scenarios look like around the planet um what an amazing conversation and I loved every minute of this. This is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I think that refugees should be welcomed with open arms and we should take care of the people that need taken care of in society and absolutely despise the narrative that some uh, sections of the UK um, portray refugees as some kind of like economical migrants, which just isn't the case. Um, being our 50th episode... I mean, I didn't think we would ever get this far or never really thought about it, but incredibly incredibly proud of what me and Matt have done over the course of the 50 episodes. Um, and here's to the next 50. And like to just thank everybody that's been on, all the support that we get for people, all the retweets and mentions and Instagram posts for people. It makes it all worthwhile for us um, and really keeps us motivated. But here's to another 50 episodes and... Here's Refugee. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. This week's guest, we've got Selena Hales from Refugee. How's it going, Selena? Good, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Ah, it's very Thanks nice to have you. Been trying to get her for a while. I don't know if you know that. I think we've been keeping in touch with somebody else. Been <laughs> and throwing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's been Challenges on my, in my periphery vision yeah. for a wee while. So have you no, done a podcast lovely. before? We have, yes. With did a really early one with Refugee Voices. 
but yeah, that's the only one I think. Did they have an illustrious studio like we've got no, here in the West No, they did not. <laughs> no, we actually sat in Social Bites' basement oh, and recorded brilliant, that brilliant. podcast. We, we did one that's about to go out with a guy called Dan Collins. He runs a shop called Hemp in Edinburgh. It's a CBD shop. It was about like cannabis and CBD. And we did it in his back shop, which is basically like a cupboard. Just <laughs> <for, like, laughs> yeah. crammed into it. Did it smell nice? Um, no particularly. <laughs> I, was I was so calm that day bad. that I was more worried about who I smelt than anything yeah. else, to be honest with you. <laughs> but anyway, um, you run Refugee. It's your idea, your creator, yeah. like everything. So what is Refugee? Oh man, it's changed so much since the beginning. So Refugee at the beginning was the idea of the existing community being able to welcome those more recently arrived into that community. Um it's turned into a charity, it's turned into multiple different projects, mm -hmm. um, but it started with the idea of welcome packs and using what we've got to welcome those who've just arrived and those capturing a little bit of Scotland, those capturing a little bit of the personality of the person who's built that welcome pack mm -hmm. um, and the simplicity of being able to extend a welcome to people who have been forced from their homes um, and, and dealing with that feeling of overwhelm. Mm -hmm. So the welcome packs themselves, am, am I right, instead of they individually put together by as a one-on-one a -on -one gift sort of thing almost? Yes, yeah, sometimes. So we have <clears throat> we ask people to, to participate in the welcome pack appeal, which is when the person takes on, takes on the building of the entire pack. Um, but then we also ask people to donate specific things yeah. and we have volunteers that come in and make up the welcome packs mm -hmm. every week. Um, so we now... It, yeah, what started as an, as an idea that it was going to be something I would run in my attic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's now become, we're bursting at the seams with donations. Um, and we now average about 120 to 150 welcome packs every single month. That's amazing. So what was the motivation? What motivated you to create? I mean, obviously, I think that... I mean, it's been going for a while, is that right? It's yeah, since December 2015 it mm. launched. So now it's like, it almost seems quite easy to do that type of thing that you're saying you imagine like I'll just do this in my room <laughs> we'll do it like this I'll put an Instagram I'll put, we'll have yeah. a, a Twitter feed and then that'll be it. it's like proper but even going back to 2015 that really wasn't the case like so like what was it that motivated you to actually do it I th I'd had some friends who'd done volunteering in different camps mm -hmm. um and I recognised that I'd sort of switched off to the news at that point that yeah. I'd stopped reading things I wasn't I couldn't deal with what was happening across the world, which mm -hmm. sounds really bizarre, because in 2015, I think I would quite like to go back to there, given where we are <laughs> now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a bit like, yeah, it's changed massively. Um, mm. That's when it started, though, but really, that's like the 2015, yeah. 2016. Yeah, and I, although at the time I didn't really recognise that the first Syrian families had arrived in Glasgow in November 2015, mm -hmm. and I didn't know that at the time mm -hmm. that I launched Refugee, but... I'm very, I'm very conscious of you might not have been properly aware of it, but you've probably been subliminally yeah. aware of different yeah. things mm -hmm. happening. Um, but some friends had volunteered in camps and I'd recognised that I couldn't do that. Yeah. I'd recognised that with a young family and the emotional wreck that I very often am, that's mm -hmm. not the type of volunteering I'm capable of. But then I felt really conscious that I wanted to do something. Yep. Um, and just started to question what happens 
do people arrive in Glasgow? What happens when they come here? How would I feel if I arrived in a new city? What would I want? What what would I expect the people in that city to be able to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time I worked at Glasgow Chamber of Commerce, so I got a really good view of not just the strength in Glasgow's economy, but the passion in business leaders in the city to make it a nice place to be. Yep. It's not all about making money. It's not all about creating the next great pub or the next great restaurant or the next great whatever, uni. It was about the space. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I started to question whether or not that was felt by people who just arrived. Mm-hmm. My old office used to look out onto that People Make Glasgow on yeah. the City yeah. of Glasgow College building. Mm-hmm. And I started to think about, well, I wonder if people make Glasgow if you're not from Glasgow. Okay. Is that quite a centric mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. Or is that extended to arriving communities, to tourists, to other people? Um, you'd be pleased to know that every sort of investigation I've done into that discovers it is. Yeah. That yeah. It's the one piece of feedback that we get all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People are just so helpful and people are so um, willing. But I didn't think there was anything or I couldn't find anything that gave that existing community that that opportunity to say, yeah, I actually welcome. You can go to rallies and you can go to protests yeah. and they're so important and we must do yeah. that. But how do you do that a little bit more without having to leave your family behind and go and volunteer in the camp or, yeah. or go elsewhere? Mm-hmm. Um, and initially I'd thought that welcome packs would be that I'd use the business community a wee bit more for that. Yeah. And, and I'd use social media, but I'd thought about how I could give businesses the opportunity to make a contribution but it's mm-hmm. become so much bigger than that the response from individuals yeah. and from community um groups and things has been so massive mm-hmm. i don't even feel like i've scratched the surface of yeah of, of looking at sort of collaborations with with bigger businesses mm-hmm. so yeah the first the first thing first ask i put on twitter it's just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. Yeah. From what there. kind of response did you actually get for businesses? Because I think that we've proven as a as a society, especially in Glasgow. I mean, I'm not that aware of it in the wider area. Although we have spoke to somebody that, that deals with food banks and yeah, like yeah. London, and I think that that yeah. is something that is prevalent everywhere. We just don't hear about it that much. Is that we we do like charity and the, even though I think personally I don't think it should be needed especially no. in the fourth richest economy in the planet yeah. um, but we, we do rally together and when people are in need we will sort of come together and that's individuals and um, people doing that but what type of response did you get from business owners with more than willing to sort of contribute? Really positive mm-hmm. yeah really really positive that there's very very few people that have said an outright no to working with us at some level. Mm-hmm, right. And I think because we offer this flexibility in how to engage with us, one of the, the sort of slogans we use is be kind in kind. You don't have to give us money. You don't have to give us stuff. What do you have that you can open up? Mm-hmm. So for Jacob's engineering firm, that was their HR department. And they mm-hmm. ran, they opened up their office to recently arrived engineers and individuals oh, right. were oh, interested in that. Mm. and spent their lunch break with them, chatting, talking about interviews, speaking to people in English about a subject that they're actually interested in rather than sending them to an ESOL class to learn the word for... I was going to say cat then and I feel bad now. (laughs) 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 But teaching people words that they're not interested in. That's not your passion. So 
as simple as opening up an environment for somebody who in a previous life that was their environment yeah. mm -hmm. and now feel so far away. Um, so that makes the response far easier. And yes, we need people to fundraise for us and we need people to be raising money and to be doing sponsored events and to be running welcome pack appeals in their offices. Mm -hmm. But we've also got this real flexibility in <clears throat> what people can open up and offer. So yeah. that's been lovely to be able to put out to businesses. Don't We're not going to tell you what we want. We're not going to ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Come and get involved. Do yeah. you care about this city? Is Glasgow really a place that you're passionate about? Because mm -hmm. if it is, you're looking at the next generation. You're looking at some of the most skilled workforce. And whether skilled or unskilled, because I don't believe in this sort of grading of the refugee. Yeah, yeah, of course. Which happens course. all the time. Uh -huh. You're looking at some of the most passionate, strong people mm. that you Absolutely. have available to I mean, you. To go through potentially some of the journeys that these people have faced to get here, like the strength and the determination that that must yeah. require in itself should be a testament to an employer or a local business. Because until you say that there, the thought that, you know, someone who has a, you know, high skilled job elsewhere mm. in the world and then comes here, like, <clears throat> it would never have occurred to me to say, well, let's get you in touch with a business that has that similar skill set and let's yeah. see what we can do for you. you know what I mean, because I think there's a system that they just are pushed through and yeah. either rejected or accepted or whatever happens next in that process. Like, but actually saying, here's where you can utilise your given profession, your technical proficiency, yeah. and actually maybe get back some of the self-worth and some of the, the dignity that you had yeah. before you were driven for your home like that's I would have never thought to approach it like that yeah there's this weird sort of it, it becomes a, a path <clears throat> the path is that you have to do your ESOL cl classes you've got to do your sort of um like you have to sort your housing you've got to sort your kids in school you've got to register with the doctor you've got to do all of these different things mm -hmm. <clears throat> and you don't know this world you don't know our systems or our, yeah. our processes. So you're just doing, as you're told, by the people that you meet at that time. Mm -hmm. So if the people that you meet are the job centre or your housing officer or your sort of college um, admissions person, yep. they're all focused on that individual thing. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it in relation to young people and what we do with young people, we try to expose them to as many different things as possible. Yeah. And where did your passion come from? It didn't come from like the process or the system. Yep. It came from speaking to other people about the things that they cared about. Yeah. So we need to make community connections and we need to make business connections and we need to give people that opportunity to find folk that will light the fire and mm -hmm. help them on a different path yep. because the path we have is totally overcrowded mm -hmm. um, especially in terms of ESOL so we're missing we're, we're prolonging the skills gaps that we've mm -hmm. got in the mm -hmm. city by missing the opportunity yeah. to yeah. utilise those, those I think people. this is something that often gets overlooked in the you know migration and you know refuge debates is that people talk in terms of like drain on society and mm. drain on resources yeah. and finances and blah 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 but like any study that's ever been done in, in these areas shows the overwhelmingly positive contribution like yeah. migrants and refugees have made to the you know economy and beyond you know yeah. what I mean like, yeah. so like <clears throat> we should be if there's a talent pool coming in that can be utilised and actually make a contribution to our communities, why would we no make use of it? You know what I mean? It's the most ironic thing to say to somebody, you're a drain on society. However, 
you're not allowed to work. Yeah. You're not allowed to study. It's incredible. You're yeah. not, and you're like, so it's not only my fault, but you're also telling me I can't. Yeah. It's the most crazy thing because there is not one person that I haven't, that, that I've met that doesn't, the only thing they're focused on is education, bettering themselves and giving back. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I don't believe in this whole gratitude thing as well. It makes me incredibly uncomfortable and we do a lot of work around not providing you the happy refugee that's going to stand there and say thank you to everybody mm-hmm. because you shouldn't, like, you shouldn't be saying thank you for what we're actually providing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But the simple, the simple safe space that people have been given, that's what they're grateful for mm-hmm. and want to contribute yeah. back to. Mm-hmm. But we don't give people the autonomy or the capacity Absolutely. to do that. And that's incredibly frustrating. Mm. I spoke to a guy once, I worked for a telecoms company, so a lot of the time, we get refugees that's retail, so they'll come in because obviously it's face-to-face, so it removes like automation, which can be mm. a big barrier, especially if you're struggling with the language. But I met a guy from Tripoli, um, and he was a surgeon, and he said to me that the one thing that he wanted to do was work, and he couldn't do it. And can't. And just can't. And, that was, and that's what exactly what he was saying, is that he just wanted opportunity to just do what he was good at. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, he was saying stuff like he, his qualifications didn't matter, um, they weren't recognised in this country and yeah. in, in X, Y, and Z. And I was thinking there must be a way that where we can fast track people like that to get I them. Let's check. Them. Yeah, like let's get them accredited. Let's check that they're yeah. up to the standard that we expect. And because obviously, like different countries have different standards, education and all sorts. But this guy's a qualified surgeon. This guy could give back so much that in, in an area like NHS where we're Spend struggling. his entire adult career saving lives in this country. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? What? There's some amazing projects that do do exactly that, but there aren't enough of them. Yeah. So Glasgow Uni have got a brilliant one for medical professionals and it's like a fast track. Let's look at your qualifications from where you've come from. Let's retrain in the areas that we need to and let's fast track you back out the other end into our mm-hmm healthcare system so there's some examples of amazing stuff being done but they're Mm. not big enough they're not well funded enough we need more of them they're not across all the different sectors that we've got so there's there's huge huge gaps Mm. um and it all gets wrapped up in this top level politics of well wait a second if we do that we might attract more people to this country (sighs) and if we attract more people to this country then what's going to happen then we attract more people with those skills we plug all the skills gaps and we're stronger and we're more diverse and we're more creative and we're just better but Mm. there's so many different levels to that conversation it's incredible baffles me that one particularly in in a scottish context i know obviously um it's a a wider sort of uk issue of migration and new rules run about it but like scotland has a fairly small sort of massively aging population like the notion that we're rejecting, you know, quote unquote, fresh blood that has got <clears throat> talent, that has got skill, mm. when at a time when we absolutely need it to maintain yeah. a reasonable population in Scotland is just another aspect of it that just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I think that's probably why we've got so many, we're so open Powerful. to people coming here. Like Glasgow's the only dispersal point in Scotland for a, the asylum seeking community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. It says that we recognise that, you know, and and the autonomy that we do have over our own um, government and and the system that we do have really loudly and clearly says we welcome mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. arriving. And you know, there's 
there's nobody that we've not worked with or spoken with over this time that isn't incredibly open. And that goes from sort of ground level through councils and local authorities across Scotland, right the way through to um, your MPs, your MSPs and your MPs. So Mm -hmm. it's good that there is that awareness, but it's because we don't have full power over it. So we've got councils sort of going... We've got empty flats. Yeah. Could you please, can can the Home Office please send us some people? And the Home Office going, oh, no, not today. Not not today. No, we've not, the, yeah, that's not, that's not organised yet. Or we've not got the funding organised for that yet. Or we can't do that. Yet on the ground, there's all of these people ready and capable Actual, and like, willing. Mobilise behind that. Mm-hmm. That's the first, the, probably for me, discovering that was more frustrating. Mm-hmm. That right here, on the ground, we're ready and willing, mm-hmm. and it's up there mm-hmm. <laughs> that the blockages all are. Yeah. How do you, do you, do you think that the individuals are impacted? Like, so I know that in in recent history, we've had like Nigel Farage standing in front of like a refugee caravan saying we should leave the EU when mm-hmm. that is unrelated to the European Union completely because people refugees and people coming from outside the EU. I mean, what's that got to do with it? Do, do you think that the people that come here see that and feel that, like, sort of narrative that's played and sort of, like you're saying, in the political class around sort of refugees, or are they just completely unaware? I think there's a... Some people are very unaware and some people are very aware. Mm. Most people have left situations and governments that have done things far, far, worse. far worse. Yeah. So there's a very, like... I have had conversations with some, with some of our volunteers who are now friends and stuff that where they sort of laugh at me when I'm whinging about stuff to do with our politi- our political system. Yeah. Our politics. Mm. They're like, You're see- you think Nigel Farage is a problem? Are you actually... Do you want to know what happened back home? Oh. <laughs> and you have the, this sort of conversation yeah. where you're like, yeah. I'm now really uncomfortable and I feel like an absolute clown for my drama being my biggest deal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you know what... So there's definitely a, an awareness, but also, wow, I wish that was the only problem that, that we had to worry about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other people who are really switched onto it who are like, this is incredibly damaging and it's not going to help matters back mm-hmm. home and can see the ripple effect of that. Because yeah. as much as people crossing borders within the EU is not an issue for their governments, it's an issue for their families. Mm-hmm. So what what is happening, they've then got to worry about every single stage mm-hmm. it used to be that if you could get across one of those eu borders then at least you've got human rights convention you've got yeah. the, you you've got the right to be safe yeah it does not feel like that anymore no it and it doesn't it's certainly from the feedback at various border points and at various crossings it's not the experience that people are getting you just need to look at what's happening in the sea as well yeah see how rules get changed and they get sort of um, twisted and they get reinterpreted and yeah. something shifts and all of a sudden you've got 160 people that died off a boat mm-hmm. and or a home secretary calling a national emergency for six refugees in a dinghy yeah rocking up at dover mm-hmm. yeah. you know like a national emergency for six guys you know what I mean? yeah. like, take control of the water and whatever legal means is there for you but like these things shouldn't be open to interpretation that put people's lives at jeopardy because when you're fleeing a war zone or, you know, persecution for your sexuality, your political beliefs, any of these things, like, the last thing you should then have to worry about is, 
is it also safe for me to, you know, am I going to get shot at? Are they going to yeah. try and capsize mm-hmm. boats? I mean, we've had commentators like your Hopkins and that talk, <clears throat> talking about, mm. you know, sending out military vessels to meet them and stuff like that. And you're like, it's just the the, the sort of rhetoric around it is extremely frightening. I think it's also incredibly frightening for the frightening for the people who are doing their duty. The first thing you learn at sea is when somebody is in trouble at sea, you help. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for the people who are then rescuing to then become the vilified, are then arrested, are then being held in custody, are then the problem, that's terrifying as well because not only are you letting people die, you're also locking up and yeah, criminalising people who have actually just done what they've been taught to do in order to be allowed to sail yeah. that ship or take mm-hmm. that boat out in the mm-hmm. first place. And that it's those adjustments and bending of the rules that, that impact on everybody. Yeah. One of the things that kind of in similar areas to what we've been discussing so far that's been sort of piqued my interest, and we, we kind of touched on it um, last week with the guys at Glasgow St. Pauli, um, was the, the circle evictions that are going on mm-hmm. about Glasgow just now. Is that something that you, I'm assuming, you have some sort of contact with? Yeah, and we've we've lots of people who are in complete fear about whether or not it's going to affect them. Mm-hmm. Um, you get this complete mix of information and this contradictory information from one place and another place. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we also really recognise what our role is within this amazing realm of organisations and community groups and charities and people working in this field Mm -hmm. and refugee have this initial welcome and point of contact with people and we've got volunteers and people from the refugee community who work with us but we are not legal professionals we do not understand the ins and outs of housing we can only signpost to those who are doing phenomenal work in Mm -hmm. so we work really closely with scottish refugee council who've produced some phenomenal um, information specifically about what to do, um, and it's been translated into multiple languages. And it I just, think I've seen the flyers on Facebook. They've yeah, asked people to share them the other day. Really, really helpful. Um, Living Rent are doing phenomenal campaigns. Yep. We direct everybody to all of their rallies, to their protests, to get involved, to volunteer their time, to share the information because we might think that our audience doesn't have anybody that is impacted on that, but you just don't know. And I think. I see our role as very much about putting that information out there mm-hmm. to a huge number of people who are peaked, their interest is peaked in this. It might only be relevant to five of those people. Yep. But if five of those people can then get that information to three people that are affected by it, we've done our job. Absolutely. If it goes to one person, we've done our job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's downplayed quite a lot. I have frustrating converse- conversations with people who will remain anonymous, <laughs> could shame you when you know who you are, <laughs> who talk about how raising awareness is futile. Right. This sort of idea of, but what does it actually do? It doesn't actually make a difference. And for me, that's just, the, it, it's... It's a bit defeatist, isn't it? It's really defeatist. Mm. And it completely takes away any of that power that we have as individuals to come together and mm-hmm. create waves, mm-hmm. not ripples, waves. And that's really easy position for me to argue from because Refugee is an example of exactly that. It started as a Twitter feed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it has now become 120 welcome packs a month. It's become events every month. It's become hundreds of people mm-hmm. reached, not by us, 
reached by hundreds thousands yeah. of other yeah. people in this city it's the joining together of dots and that makes a difference hundred mm-hmm. percent huge mm-hmm. huge I think, like difference. just the, the fact that activism seems to be at an all-time high just purely uh, yeah. because of social media or the, yeah. the impact that that's had i mean there's loads of negative aspects to social media of course there but are. the positive side of it is is that people can come together and collectively bring their ideas together so to say that just raising awareness is futile is i think naive it's yeah. naive but it's sad as well mm-hmm. and i think it shows where we re- and I, I suppose that's where i was almost at that point when refugee launched i mm-hmm. felt that's why you switch everything off that's why you're not reading mm-hmm. it it's what and that's that overwhelm does stun you it, it just sort of makes Absolutely. you go, oh, this isn't a world I want to be in. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't I don't want to be in a world where Trump is in power, where Boris is in power over here, where people are displaced, where we don't care about the people. That are displaced. Yep. I don't want to exist there. Mm-hmm. So I can understand there are definitely people, and it, and it's okay to sometimes just hide under the duvet. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So if that's what you need, sometimes I yeah. get back out eventually. <laughs> but there are other <clears> people that are able to fight that fight. And I think that's the bit that, that fascinates me and that I find really, really amazing to mm-hmm. watch. That I think in terms, are... sorry, I think in terms of awareness, when you talk about the, just going back to the, the sort of welcome packs, am I right in saying I've seen um, tweets and whatnot where you've been out in what, local schools putting the welcome packs together? So that awareness there, when, when you're taking that awareness to young children, especially in the world we live in where the media and political classes that we've talked about are overwhelmingly negative and sort of obstructionist when it comes to like refugees getting into schools and actually talking to kids about the reality and what how what they do can make a difference in somebody else's life must be really important yeah it's so important it's also a schools have really picked up on the element of the welcome pack that to me is the heart and soul of the pack it's the most important bit of it which is a welcome letter Mm -hmm. from someone who's a bit more familiar with the city or and they're called letters for the locals and it's really funny because people miss the whole point of that is that we're all locals yeah and some people will sort of go oh i'm not from glasgow can i still write a letter <laughs> <laughs> letters come in from all over the world we've had them from new zealand from canada we've had them from from all over the place mainly from glaswegians that are now living yeah. in those different places that are yeah. like ah oh, we don't have this here so i'm writing a letter about home um but schools very quickly picked up on the fact that children are spoken at a lot of the time. Yeah. And adults are spoken at a lot of the mm-hmm. time. And it doesn't have the same impact as writing to an individual. Mm-hmm. That the actual there's a whole load of research into the act of actually handwriting. It connects differently with your brain and it forces you to retain that information in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's much more powerful than typing on a computer or than yep. just reading the information. So by asking somebody to write to a person, it takes away all of the stuff in the media that mm-hmm. we are bombarded with mm-hmm. about it being swathes of people. Yeah, And it brings it back to one person. And we see it every single time we ask someone to write a letter, that moment where they write dear or to, and they pause who are you writing to? Mm-hmm. What have they been through? Where have they come from? What have they seen? Where are they going? How are they doing it? Who's helping them? And that's that critical bit. And schools have been phenomenal at just mm-hmm. getting that. Yeah. At sort of giving children the freedom to just pause in that moment because that's the critical bit. There's the humanisation 
of the refugee crisis. Mm. That is the bit that we need everybody to feel. And it wasn't something that I thought about when we decided to put Letters Impacts. It's just something that's become part of it. Um, and it's lovely because they they vary. Sometimes people will write Dear Refugee because that's who that person is to them. Right. Sometimes we got a whole pack of letters from the school ones that were all um, all addressed. Hiya, pal. Hiya, pal. <laughs> <laughs> that's my school is going. Right. Loads, all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, lots of them say all right. Um, and then friend and person to another human to a friend I've not yet met that's the critical bit in it right. the rest of it can say anything that it doesn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there are no rules um I think there's so much that can be learned for kids and I think even just teenagers and in, in this day and age I mean, when I was unfortunately because I'm actually a wee bit sort of jealous that I didn't go to school in a sort of multicultural environment whatsoever I think mm-hmm. I don't think we had anybody at St, I'll be at St Andrews in Carntine. Yeah. I can't remember anybody that wasn't white. Yeah. So, and I look at kids going to school now, and you just think like these. They're exposed to so many different cultures. There'll be yeah different foods, different attitudes, yeah. and I think that there's a lot to be learned for the sort of openness that that will bring the next generation of people. There's so we're much so, more. Like you're saying, the media has bombarded yeah. us since like what 2006, 2005, where fear. And now we're just living in this sort of we're yeah. scared, um, but yeah, I'm I'm almost a slightly jealous of the sort of kids that are coming up to get this sort of multiculturalism that we were told that we you know what I mean exists, but now we're starting to see but it. But now we see it. It's it works very very well if the school actually utilise that. It can't be ignored. You can't you can't have a school that is really, really diverse and not talk about the diversity yeah, in the school. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sometimes the mistake that's made. Oh, children don't see those differences. Now, they do see the differences. They don't attach fear to it. They don't yeah. attach other knowledge yep. to it. But they definitely see that that friend has brown skin and that friend has white skin and mm-hmm. that friend has really dark curly hair and that friend has blonde hair. Of course, they see that. They, yeah. they have eyes. And I think... It's interesting working with different schools who who approach that differently, mm-hmm. who who work with the kids to talk about that and for it to be really open. Um, but my favourite thing is the way that they approach it all very logically, that they ask questions that we all, maybe not all of us think, a lot of adults think, but because of that fear that you're talking about, yeah. we don't say it. Mm-hmm. So the first time I went into a school, never done a workshop in a school before, I think the kids were maybe primary fours, that about nine. And um, the first question. So is it right? Yeah. That, <laughs> I'm, trying to, no I'm trying to count back wheels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, around there. <laughs> but I'd brought in lots of different pictures and, and sort of w- things that we could discuss. And one of the pictures was in, of an overcrowded raft. And this nine year old boy stuck his hand up and went, Surely it's better for everybody if that boat just sinks. And the teachers who had previously been seeing this sort of visitor coming in and chatting to the class as an opportunity for them to mark homework and not say anything at the back practically jumped out yeah, of their seats. Do you know, there was this like, how was... Extinguish the fire type thing. Yeah. Like, oh no, don't say that. Shh, don't say that. Mm-hmm. And instead, I, and I don't really, I didn't really think about it. I was like, why? And he was like, well, then no one has to deal with them at the other side. I was like, well, someone has to deal with people arriving dead yeah. at the other side yeah. and he's like but then they're not a problem there and they're not a problem here and 
was like, okay, so let's actually explore that. Does everyone have a life jacket on? Do you think everybody can swim? What do you think happens when people die? Who has to pick up people's bodies? How do you think that makes that individual feel? What makes you think there's no room? And we had the best discussion in that classroom mm -hmm. from that question. Yep. I know there are adults in rooms that think that, think that want same. to ask yeah. that, but they don't. Absolutely. And it's how that's something that we're looking at. Do you think that that's part of like <clears throat> something that is sort of a, a wider like sort of frustration that's felt amongst adults, especially now, where certain subjects have been a no-go area, so you can't ask yep. questions. I mean, it, it. We've had a couple of subjects where we've been like. Uh, things like gender and yeah, you know, things like sexuality. And yeah, that, with another experience, we've went. Mm, I don't know. I don't know how. To how do we this, learn so. if we don't ask the question? Exactly. Mm. You're. It depends how you ask it. Like I have said things to some of our refugee volunteers that if I said, if I told you about them, you'd be like, I believe you said that to somebody. Mm -hmm. But we've created a space where we've said, I don't understand this, so I'm asking this because I don't know how else to address it or to yeah. better understand it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is no malice, I mean no harm, and you have absolutely every right to not answer and to step away from yeah. that conversation. If we all approach context. everything right like that, we, we don't cause harm or insult. It's if we're clumsily navigating our way through it like, and never actually getting to the, to the truth, to the critical bit, the critical information that we need to understand. Mm -hmm. So, and that applies to gender, it applies to sex, it applies to refugee rights, it applies to absolutely yeah, everything. Yeah. Some of the most, some of the best sort of things are just opening up the space to create a safe way to talk. Yeah. I've got a friend who um, runs, the, my best example of this is yeah. Nails Transphobia. And Charlie is a trans woman and she does manicures for people. Okay. And she goes into sort of colleges and all sorts of different spaces. And she basically gives the person a manicure and they are allowed to ask anything at all. No, no. Absolutely anything. And she answers everything with complete... You don't use that word. Maybe that's not a question you should ask somebody. Yeah. Check which pronoun people are comfortable with. Just have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And... It's really, really simple, but you're busy doing something, so the attend it doesn't feel uncomfortable because yeah, you're yeah. not like sat going mm, I don't, I clumsily. Split. You're looking at your nail. Oh, I shouldn't look at my nails. <laughs> you can tell <laughs> she's never done mine. <laughs> um, but she's won all sorts of awards for the simplicity of that idea, and yeah. that's what we can do in schools, and it's what we can do as adults if we just get comfortable with the uncomfortable yeah, but yeah. we let fear in yeah we, I think we don't let nuance be part no. of this is something that we're talking about in, I, almost every week every week <laughs> is the, I mean the amount of sort of mind reading that we do where if somebody says well let's not use the trans one because it's so loaded but refugees like do we have enough space for refugees in this country yeah. asking that question there will be a certain section that is you're a racist I don't yeah. even want to engage with you, cancel it, get him off Twitter, block mm -hmm. him, cancel his PayPal. And I think this is where we're going wrong. I don't think that we should give platforms to people <clears throat> such as Tommy Robinson or Farage and, yeah. and to a certain extent where you you do know the motivation behind why they're asking these questions. But yeah. just for a, a normal person to be, I'm curious about this subject, 
to be branded as something else yeah. simply because they've got doubts. Because they've challenged it. Yeah, yeah. Because I We've think that we block. need to be, get to a place where you can engage and I think that that is exactly the perfect question if, if a child, so if, if a kid, nine-year-old says that, like they should just sink that boat, then the question should be, well, why do you think that? Rather than, oh, I can tell what your dad, you know, like, well, exactly. you're a wee yeah. racist. You're and, a racist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've had to block more people on our social media who are pro-refugee because of their responses to people who are anti-refugee. Right. Mm. So the abuse, <laughs> the torrents of abuse that come out of people who are supposed to be defending what we're doing, mm-hmm. yeah. but are doing it in such a clumsy way. Whereas if we... So anybody that, that comments on something that we post, and we get quite a lot of negative comments, um on specific things. Mm-hmm. It depends how far it's been shared. But the buggy campaign, for some reason, when we do the pram campaign, anything to do with kids, I suppose, like it, it gets shared an awful lot. Yep. And therefore, more people see it. And you get more of it, the like mm-hmm. contradictory view. If people can't afford a buggy, they shouldn't be having a baby sort of chat. Okay. And then it, it often goes into something far deeper and far yeah. worse and really nasty. Yeah, But... If we can get to it quick enough, that first comment, why are people having babies if they can't afford a buggy? If we can get to that quick enough, we can change that person's view. Yep. That's just ignorance. It's not mean. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's a simple question of, well, th- why should we be helping that person and not that person? Yep. The answer is that person maybe didn't choose to have that baby. Mm-hmm. Maybe that person... Yeah has been the victim of sexual assault. Yeah, Maybe that person has had to sell their body in order to reach safety. For whatever reason, that person is having a baby and they can't afford a buggy. All we need to do is just open that person's eyes up. And when we do that, quite often the person will reply and be like, hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah. That's when you're like, yes, boom. That's really important. If somebody gets in there first and is like, oh, piss off, like I'm not, like your opinions don't matter on here, blah, blah, blah. Or even worse, when people, <laughs> the person to piss off and have clearly gone onto their Facebook and found out all about them and include yeah. all of this different stuff. And Tagging you're like, what are you doing? Like, shh. That's the time where you're like, just, just educate. Simply educate in a polite manner mm-hmm. and you will have far, far more impact than hurling abuse at everybody. Yep. Um so we try and do that as much as possible and we try and, and just sort of open people's eyes up because there's never been anything negative said mm-hmm. that doesn't come from, from ignorance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing. Absolutely. There's no like solid reason that somebody has had to spout out the hate that people yeah. have spouted out. Yeah. And I think that's why like educating at a school level is as important as it is because yeah. I come from Springburn. Um, mm-hmm. I'm no far from where the Red Road used to be. Yeah. Like, my, obviously, family have been in and around Sight Hill forever. And, and there is a, a sizable sort of, you know, refugee and immigrant community at a lot of the schools as well. So when we talked previously about that multiculturalism that we were maybe not exposed to in our generation, it being there now, that you've got this sort of two-pronged approach where not only are you maybe educating the kids to change their own viewpoints, you're also putting them in a space where they can be welcoming to the kids that are actually coming into their schools yeah. and then hopefully in turn maybe actually go home and go the next time there is a maybe ignorant comment for a parent or a guardian or whatever as the kids 
power to actually go, well, actually, Dad, I was at school and I learned this. this. And yeah. I think, you know, across all of those points, like that's just amazing work because it's like community driven, it's community focused, and it's about making that community bigger and more welcoming. And yeah. I think we need like many of that every day, everywhere. And I think kids get that. Kids really understand that you're not then just helping that individual helping the whole space mm -hmm, and I think mm -hmm. that's really and that's something we always emphasize as well what we do obviously is focused on refugees asylum seekers people who've recently arrived mm -hmm. but everything we do is open to everyone yep. so if somebody rocks up at our door and is looking for winter jackets shoes or a buggy or a food bank can't find a buggy mm -hmm. we're their first port of call because they know we've got that stuff mm -hmm. so they come to our door and say and his winter jackets or I've not got school bags for the kids. We don't stand with a checklist and go, where have you arrived from? What colour's your yeah. skin? How mm. long have you been here? What are you doing? We go, I mean, come in, we've got jackets over there's there, help yourself. Everything is open to everyone. Mm -hmm. And that's where kids offer this opportunity as well. We really emphasise that in schools because I think that's people's biggest beef who don't fully understand. It's why do they get that and we don't get yeah. that? <clears throat> Especially in the communities that people are being housed in because housing's cheapest in the most deprived communities. Yep. So it's people are being put into communities that are already struggling. Mm -hmm. But if you can go into them and make it for everyone, job done. Mm -hmm. There's nobody that has ever come back to us and gone, well, did that buggy go to a refugee family that really needed it? Or did that buggy yeah. go to a refugee did you, family? Did who... you check their bank balance before you gave them the buggy? Like, right. Yeah. Like, did you means test them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that... Um, I was quite at a point there, and I can't remember. This is happening to me and Matt every week. <laughs> uh, right. It's, it's the, the yeah, so, you telling us we're getting old every week. We're actually starting to believe it and dementia's setting in. What so kind, what, that. No plain devil's advocate, but when we've got homeless people and mm. we've got people that are struggling and we've got food banks, I can kind of understand why and somebody that doesn't go too deeply into sort of media or social media or anything else would actually think we should be taking care of our own people before we take care of anybody else. Um, is that the type of, do you get that type of attitude here in Glasgow? Do you get that for people? Yeah. And what's the sort of best way to sort of combat that? We do get that a lot. We should help our own first. How can we be opening up our doors to new people arriving when we've got so many social issues mm -hmm. already? And the answer is those social issues don't exist because of overpopulation. Yeah. Those social issues aren't there because there are too many people here. Mm -hmm. They're here because our government isn't tackling those issues. Mm -hmm. And there are organisations just like we are there to support the refugee community, there are organisations working tirelessly to support the homeless community, to break that poverty line and to get the number of young people that we have living below that poverty line is absolutely shocking. But yeah, to like break that, that's not the result of refugees. Mm. That's not the result of yeah. extra people. That's a societal problem that our government is refusing to yeah. address. And we cannot breach our human rights, the human rights of yeah. other people mm -hmm. in order to to plug that gap because yeah. that gap doesn't exist yeah. because of us. It exists because of something like Human bigger. life should never be factored in on like a governmental balance sheet. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is something that does happen a lot elsewhere. But I think like austerity and poverty and homelessness 
almost feels like a political choice. Yeah. Because, again, we're the fourth richest. Well, we were before 20, before yeah. we voted for Brexit. But we're, we're, a, we're a wealthy country that, I mean, if we can afford to spend a billion pounds on the DUP and then five billion pounds on dealing, preparing for an, a no-deal Brexit, like, where was this money... <clears throat> when Cameron was in and we were slashing public yeah. services. And yeah. I think that we, that the, the mainstream media in the UK has got a lot to answer for, for deflecting away from political discourse and disgruntlement with government and shifting it onto another. And just like, yeah. it's, it's We also have to get the, the habit of accepting racist being foist upon us in leadership because let's be honest with you, none of us wanted Theresa May and her, go home vans yeah. you know what I mean like none of us want Boris and his letterbox and all that other bullshit chat that he comes with but I think we need to and nobody voted for these two people yeah you know what I mean like the one election may had she, she lost what mm. Johnson's left by a majority of one like we shouldn't be putting up with the racist at the very pinnacle because let's be honest with you, as much as there is neoliberal agenda and successive governments that has led to austerity and whatnot like we also have both in Britain and America successive racists at the top of the absolute pinnacle of our political sort yeah. of infrastructure. And I just think that we need to find ways to combat that as much as we do the local community stuff because it's great to have the base of the community covered. But if the guys at the very top are openly racist like these guys have been, we're always going to be fighting an uphill battle, I think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So like working in this type of area must be like really rewarding. It is. As well as like seriously challenging as well. Um, do you have any sort of like ways of managing? I mean, you were saying that you're an emotional person, so I can imagine hearing people's stories like it must mm. be quite draining. But then uh, also, like I saying, that the rewards and the, the energy that you must get for that. But do you have like a routine of self care that you need to keep yourself under? And no, much to the yeah. No matter how hard I try. With a routine of self care, it always it's just becomes another thing to add to the to do list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I'm probably one of these. Oh, and it's not. I do. It just isn't a very sort of structured. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about having a team of people around you that understand. Um, so Hannah, who works for Refugee as well, we are so much more than just colleagues. Yep. We're not just people that work together. We. Mm-hmm have to have each other's back like for far longer than anybody there's not a set working day you never switch off and that took a huge adjustment um so it's having people around that that fully understand that um but whilst we hear people's stories and and we're exposed to really difficult stuff a lot of the time it's balanced every single time by the positive mm-hmm. response. Mm-hmm. So we hear something horrendous like last week, a family of five who are currently sleeping in a one bedroom flat on the floor. Um, whatever the reason for that, it's totally unacceptable that there are three teenage yeah. children currently sleeping on wooden floorboards mm, yeah. and about to start the next term of school. And you sort of think, how, is, how do we live in a world where that is actually allowed to happen? What, yep. where, where are social work? Where are the, where's the housing provider? Yeah. What is actually happening? There's your sort of overwhelmed bit and you can get really stuck in that. Yeah. Or you go on Twitter and go, there's a family of five currently sleeping on their floor. Who can help us? And I think we've probably now got 15 
inflatable mattresses yeah, in right. the drop off, new duvets, pillowcases, Argos orders arriving, people phoning us going, is there anything else they need? But like, people want to help. Yeah. And there is, in that self care routine, a lot of the time I am spending it going, are we plugging a gap that actually somebody needs to be held accountable to? Mm. How much of this are we actually making the problem worse? Are we exacerbating it? That I find much more mentally draining than the stories themselves mm -hmm. because sometimes I feel really frustrated by... Yeah, so that you might be essentially masking the failures of the system? We are. We've got 30 to 40 prams and push chairs go out to recently arrived families every month buggy a day at the moment because it's not considered an essential item seriously wow a cot is a high chair is but you're like antenatal care and all of that is mm -hmm. but you can't leave the house with your child you can't do that mm -hmm. so we i it was twins arriving that actually highlighted it to us so we had twins arrive a couple of years ago and started the hashtag twins without transport and within a day, two days, had a double buggy for them. Mm -hmm. And that just started this, well, refugees you can get buggies. No, we can. And they're second-hand and we work with the repair cafe at Kenning Park who do up any that are broken and we can get them out to people. But should we? Mm. <laughs> ah, I think that yeah. the, in that sort of area that there is only so much that one person or two people can yeah. do. And yeah. I think that the work that you're doing is so important that you <clears> wouldn't want people to suffer to make a point to political which would like, take politics type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's what it would take. Because you're gonna like, end up hell on at the moon anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I'm not absolutely. gonna listen, so yeah. you've got to deal mm. with the people. How much control do the Scottish government have over this area? I am not the person to ask that question to. I don't really know. Um Do you get much engagement from Hollywood? Yes, yeah, a lot. And people are very focused and interested and want to do their bit and engaged on it and we've got this brilliant new Scots strategy and we're leading the way in terms and in fact across the UK especially in terms of the asylum um, process as much as that has been privatised um, us having Glasgow as the largest UK dispersal point is, is phenomenal do you know mm. we're we're definitely, it's recognised and we want, and the government want Scotland to be that welcoming place. Um, yet there are still huge gaps and it's that can feel really frustrating when you're on the ground. And I think every organisation feels like that on the ground. Mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you'll have ministerial visits and you'll have meetings and yeah. you'll have discussions, yep. but you're like, when is change happening? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I take a bit of a step back from a lot of it because my place is in amongst new people and having those conversations and plugging those gaps and working away at that. And I will report and I will feed that up the chain, but we tend to work with organisations who um, are far bigger, are far better placed and are far more well-practised at engaging at a parliamentary level mm -hmm. than spend time learning how the hell we do that. Yeah, um, so you're at ground level, really. Yeah, and it's good because there are organisations like Oxfam, for example, who recognise that what we can do on the ground, they can't. Mm -hmm. But what they can do in Parliament... Yeah, you can. We can. Mm -hmm. So really early on, they got in touch and said, if we were to get some funding to put a person in your 
grassroots space that could feed stories into our agenda totally anonymously, but that can take those real life examples because parliament isn't going to change without real life examples. No. They need the stories. Um, but at the same time, the big organisations that know all of the flaming protocol and systems and papers and guff that has to be written to get something to that level, they don't have time to go out and speak to people. Mm -hmm. So we tend to try and do a bit more of that. It's working with mm -hmm. the organisations that can do that have the, the grunt work. Clout. Yeah, mm -hmm. but uh, we get pulled into that quite a lot where <laughs> we are a team of two and a half people. We've got 120 welcome packs two large pop-up events to do each month, usually a community event and a film screening. We've got two premises to run and all the donations that go along with all of those events we, and all the volunteers that you've got to manage to get all of that shit done. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to go and sit in your office for an hour and a half to talk about something that we've not actually got to the point by the time the hour and a half is up. Yeah. So another meeting gets called. and it There just isn't time. Mm -hmm. And that's not where I'm best place yeah. and I think it's recognising that as well. Got to focus your energy to get yeah. the, the best results for yeah. what you're, you're aiming to do. And I think our social media is used by people within those spheres which is really good to know because we can idea them and that's again that raising awareness, the sharing of information. Mm -hmm. If we can share as much as possible then we know those stories are going out there, we know that people are aware of what's needed. From the mattress um, request from this family of five that are sleeping on the floor we got an email from somebody as a donor who then latterly it turned out to be the chief exec of a housing provider. Okay. okay. And she was like, I hope you don't mind. But the reason that I wanted to come on board as a donor was because I wanted to fully understand what this is all about mm -hmm. because I need to use that. Boom. That is where we are best placed. Mm -hmm. That sort of stuff I love. She now fully understands what we do. Yep. She asked if she could have a chat with us about how that, about how it all works. And we went, we're not the person to have a chat to. We're just the mattress provider. The person who requested it is this person. Yep. They're who you need to be speaking to. And we can step back. Mm -hmm. so just to make that connection. I think it's knowing when to step back from those conversations because yep. you can't do everything. That is when you burn. Mm -hmm. And we had... I think at the very beginning when you're just so excited about this, it's going to become something. And we said yes to too much. Yep. And maybe about month nine, I was at burnout point. Mm. That's when you're just useless to everybody. Yeah. And it, so there's your self-care. It's knowing that's what we're really good at. Yeah. That's what they're sort really of, good at. The boundaries as well. The boundaries yeah. of your own capabilities and what you're wanting to do. Yeah. Um, we've been, we had an episode a couple of weeks ago with... Um, ACEs, so the Adverse Childhood Experiences, and I think that it would probably be safe to say that being a, a child refugee has got to be one of the biggest adverse experiences that you could ever yeah, like imagine. Yeah, is there much in the way of counselling support for... I mean, I think it's important that the, the adults get it, but I think what's more important is that the kids get it if they've been dragged through one side of the planet to the other, going across an ocean in a dinghy, in a, in a camp for however long and then Years. eventually they get to the point where they're at school yeah. they're, they're in Glasgow let's just say they go to school that's great but is there many opportunities for people to go and engage with them on a sort of mental health level to make sure that their future isn't really that or the, the impact of that experience is minimised for the, because it could eventually end up in addiction 
problems, like behavioural problems, which is completely understandable. Yeah. But I think that there's probably an opportunity there for mental health charities or even professionals to just come in and go, let's get some counselling for these people. But do you find that? Is that happening? It's not something that I am aware of there being enough of. That's not to say there isn't, because I might just not be aware of it. Mm -hmm. But certainly the conversations that we've had with both parents, with schools, with individuals with direct experience, is that the focus is so much on the bureaucracy, on getting that child enrolled in school, on getting their English good enough so that they can understand school, on the family being stable, getting their status, getting their accommodation right, having things, getting <clears> into work. All, it's all about this sort of box ticking. Trauma, in my opinion, and as I say, I might just not be exposed to enough people to know, mm -hmm. but in my opinion, should be right at the front. Yeah, yeah. And it's not something we witness. I do know that the NHS have a phenomenal asylum health team who work amazingly Mm -hmm. um, and who engage with us across every single level, who are really, really good at sort of not just making sure that people have the healthcare that they need, but have the things that they need that will make providing that service easier and yep. as well. Mm -hmm. So they're very switched on. There's also a great <clears throat> trauma team, but I don't know enough about how much they engage with different people um, to, to fully comment on it. But it's yeah. certainly not something that I see happening at a level that I would yeah. want it to happen. Mm -hmm. Do you know that you... I'd like to see it priority number one, but it's not. Yeah. Well, the fact that a child can get plonked into school, one of our volunteers, her, her child's put into school and was having real difficulty. Um, can't speak any, couldn't speak any English. Um, and was put into primary five and told, her mum went into the school and was like, oh, she seems to be struggling. She's going in crying. She's coming out crying. How do we, how are we tackling this? In three months, she'll be able to speak the language and it'll be fine. It's like, <laughs> as a parent, three months of taking your child to that gate crying, crying or picking them up crying, that, that's, torture. that's torture. That's a level of, of like upset and trauma that no parent no. wants to go through. Can you watch your kid cry for five minutes? No. Day and night for three months. Yeah, I took my kids in this morning and <clears> my primary one, who started yesterday, was like, right, bye, go away. And my, I could see my primary three child crying <laughs> on the other side of the playground. And I'm like, oh, I look like I'm crying about primary one, but she's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but my other child is upset. And that's five minutes on one morning. Yeah. For the response to be, they'll get over it isn't good enough. Mm, yeah. They will not just get over that. And what have you then taught them about how important their emotional well-being is? Yeah, exactly. It, that isn't okay. Um, and I don't think that's a that's a sort of one-off. I think that happens, that happens all a lot. too often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many different models and, and sort of school in particular, we've definitely not got that right. And, and no school that I have ever worked with or spoken to in the education system they know they've not got it right mm -hmm. but it's the same as any big system in order to change it you need to get rid of it basically in order to and how do you get rid of it when you've got everybody using it yeah 
so you're caught in this catch twenty two mm-hmm. of we know that that system doesn't Try work. To patch it a bit at a time. But I can't tackle that without messing up that. And if we sh- if we mess up that, then that goes to, like everything is just so interwoven and connected. It makes changing little parts of it really difficult. But mm-hmm. yeah, the moment we plug people into existing systems and we do it with school, mm-hmm. and we do it with flame and benefit system as well. Mm-hmm. So you've got people who have never worked who can't speak any English, who don't know where they live, let alone what the sort of job centre landscape is, yeah. being sanctioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being put being on. Cut off. I mean, yeah. my, my wife has been through the, the sort of job seeker, job centre experience in, yeah. in recent years, on and off, and it's a confusing and obstructive system for somebody who grew up in this country. Yeah. And it's almost built to put you off and keep you out yeah so i facing the additional challenges our language and culture and all these other things must be the stuff absolute nightmares it's so difficult and you've got people working within that system who are trained to just follow the process yeah the computer says no no they have no ability to see how one person's situation varies from another Absolutely. even when that person is sat in front of them not speaking English, mm-hmm. unable to communicate properly with them, and or there's an interpreter there. It's so difficult. But to end that on a positive, one of the things I'm really proud of that we do, and one of the things that I think has had a real impact in that job centre experience for people, is that the Department of Work and Pensions actually have charity days built into their employees' okay. um, time. And we advertise working at Refugee, coming to the pop-up events, mm-hmm being in the donation space with through their portal. And we get staff from DWP coming in and seeing firsthand what people's daily life is like. Yeah. Having conversations with people and the number of their staff that have come back and said, this is really going to shift how I approach my next meeting with mm-hmm. somebody who is from a refugee background. Mm-hmm. Just understanding it's, it, it's the same as going into schools. It's yeah. just education. Right, let's, get, yeah. let's get Boris up. Do something like that for the actual politicians themselves, but um, that's that, just to wrap up. Like, if people were to try or want to get involved, what are the types of things that people can do to support Refugee? Fundraise for us, fundraise, fundraise, fundraise. Um, the simplest of things, do you know, just doing small amounts of money have a huge impact on us. We try not to end up in massive funding structures Mm -hmm. um, because just like I don't want to be writing papers for Parliament, I don't want to be sat filling in funding reports and applications all day, every day, and that's what we need to do. Um, So fundraising makes a huge difference. If you're the sort of creative person that likes actually getting involved in the doing, run a welcome pack appeal in a workplace, in a youth centre, in an office, wherever, but run that appeal and gather the donations that we need every single day. We get a lot of stuff from sort of clear-outs and from people doing sort of big clear-outs of clothing and clear-outs of kids' toys and all of that stuff, which we need, we absolutely do. But the things that we need 120 of every single month without fail are shampoo, toothbrushes, toothpaste, shower gel, razors. We've got sanitary products galore at the moment because we've just done a big campaign with bloody good period. So we've got sanitary stuff, but shampoo and shower gel and soap and things like that make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Write letters. 
um, come to events. We're going to be doing lots of events in the new Byers Road space as well. Um, we had a film screening in there recently that went really well, so we want to do more of that. Excellent. And get in touch with ideas. Refuge is built on other people contributing what they yep. can. Yeah. So if none of that floats your boat, that's totally fine. Get in touch and tell us what you'd like to do because mm-hmm. we're always open um, to adding other elements to yeah. what we can mm-hmm. deliver. Okay. And and where, do people, where can people find you? I mean, we've got refuweg.co.uk. Um, yeah. What's the social media? So we've got Refuigi on Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter as mm-hmm. well. The handle is just at Refuigi. Um, the debate over whether Ouija has an IE at the end or an EE is <laughs> ongoing, but we are an EE. <laughs> We're refugee with a wee bit in the middle. That's the easiest way <laughs> to, to describe it. Um, we try to keep our social media as sort of live and active as possible. So that's a good place to go and get a flavour of the different things that we've been up yep. to mm-hmm. and see some of the letters, um, see the different events that we run. The website should have everything you need in terms of drop-off locations, different events. I need to update our events page. I do that anytime I'm telling people to go, I'm then like, I need to put a couple of things on that (laughs) event page. Um, And then our Insta stories is where you go if you want to have a giggle about um, the various donations that we've received that week, of which there are some strange and peculiar things received. So what's the most strange that you've you've had as a donation? It's things that you try to think, how am I going to explain that to somebody? So like toilet golf. Who wants toilet golf in their welcome pack? Um, a knitted mermaid tail. Like the picture on the box, we didn't open the box, is of a guy with his trousers down, fortunately from the knees down. Mm-hmm. And you get like a putter and a ball and wow. a mat with... Like weird, <laughs> weird things. What else have we had that's really strange? Toilet golf. I'm going to be Googling that the second. <laughs> just <laughs> here, by the way. My brain is not computing that one at all. Yes, we don't want second-hand underwear. Yeah. That's not appreciated. Please don't. Um, yeah, what are, sometimes we'll get like a bag of stuff that just looks like someone's maybe gone through a nasty breakup and they've just put all of their partner's stuff in a bag and donated it. <laughs> and you're like, this is definitely... That person doesn't know that this is here. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Thanks for coming in and talking to us. Aye. Thank you for having me. Really like informative but I think people listening to this I think they'll be if it raises questions um raises awareness yeah. about what you're doing um then that's a positive so I thanks very much I I mean I've been a huge fan of the organization for ages and we've been trying to get this in for a while and just really appreciate your time thank you so much for having me it's been lovely to chat to you Set upon
fire We'll make the party I see right through it The great desert to fade You call 